That is the sound of my stovetop coffee maker, a Bialetti, telling me that it's time for another podcast. So it's time to have some espresso or maybe a glass of Malbec, sit down and relax and learn more about these interesting tales from the world of the octopus wars. Our first letter is from Liz from Vero Beach, Florida. Hi, I'm Liz from Vero Beach, Florida. I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast, Ezekiel. Um, I had a question for you. My mother is of Italian descent, and she would always tell funny stories of a detective by the name of Juan Bituro. And I'm just wondering if um, it would be so great to learn more about this character. Thank you so much. Liz, thank you so much for your letter, and thanks to your mom for telling you these wonderful tales. While I read our second letter and respond to it, I will look up some old files that I have about Juan Vitoro. Our second letter is from Gaurav Suri from Menlo Park. And he writes, Hi, this is Gaurav Suri from Menlo Park. I enjoyed uh, Cafes Laguna very much, but had one question. I heard that the young bohemians were called troublemakers, but I was curious about exactly what kind of trouble they caused. Thank you. Gaurav, thank you so much for your letter. Um, the most famous account about the young bohemians that conveys the kind of trouble they caused is the tale of the Bolsa Theater, the famous Bolsa Theater in Mendoza. And from what I recall, the tale went something like this. Another tale from the world of the Octopus Wars. The following first-person account comes from a young bohemian by the name Romy. And my investigations lead me to believe that the name was in fact Romulus, one of the young bohemians. Crazy Cole, Puchito, Aledro, Fat Grano, and I squandered many hours at the Café Astoria, the unofficial social and political center of the city. The Astoria was frequented by all of Mendoza's residents, young and old, but we, the young bohemians, as they called us, made it hanging out there in art form. By the purchase of one cup of coffee in the morning, we could kill hours into the evening, always holding our favorite table out in front and left of the entrance. We pretended to be experts on everything, as all good Argentine charlatans. We would comment on and critique matters of art, history, philosophy, and literature. Invariably, our discussions would end up on that topic of that great war occurring very far away. At our table, underneath the maroon and black Astoria canopy, Allegro, the voice of the Bohemians, began to relate last night's incident. Cole and Pachito had successfully made their presence known at our local theater, the Bolsa Theater. Making your presence known at the Bolsa required preparation, at least by Bohemian standards. There are two visitors, a herald and receiver, who must first watch the target film several times so that the plot is flawlessly learned. Then, the most climatic scene of the movie must be identified and timed using a stopwatch. Cole calculated that in roughly 86% of the films, the most climactic scene in, is a romantic scene. After all the preparations, the visitors must let their presence be known on a Friday or Saturday night, which goes something like Aledro's account. 
though his accounts always seem to be more interesting than the truth. As Allegra told it, Cole sat in the front row, the ideal place for a receiver. Cole was a perfectionist. Two and a half minutes before the target scene, Pachito entered the Bolsa Theater and stood at the back row of the dark theater. In this film, the scene happened to be a classy one in which a young maiden appears before her lover for the first time. After another two and a half minutes, Pachito initiated the visitation by calling out through a bottomless tin can. So he held a, a tin can that would make his voice sound really metallic and he would call out in the theater, Torete, are you in here? Are you in this large, dark place? Naturally, shouts of protest from the disturbed patrons filled the smoky air of the bolsa. Cole estimated that 60% of the audience was saying something to the effect of, Be quiet! Shut up! Or, We're trying to watch the movie! And 20% was saying something far worse. The bolsa was not as refined an establishment as its guests wanted it to be. Most of the glittered green seat backs were torn, and the bodies resting upon them, if provoked, well, they did not act like Cary Grant. I am here, Peppino, replied Cole, shamelessly oblivious to the pleas of the audience. I'm up here at the front row. Can you hear me? What? said Pachito. Was that Torete? Torete who replied to me? The rage in the audience grew like swells in the ocean. Every once in a while, one of the more sophisticated audience members, usually an indignant young woman, would utter some moral lesson about having respect for others, or about how people waited all week to see the Hollywood premiere, and so on and so forth. These were the true casualties of the visitation, and they, not the Italian asleep in the seventh row, rendered such missions honorable to the Bohemians. Amongst all the complaints, Pachito's annoying metallic voice could still be discerned. His voice was obnoxiously metallic even without the tin can, and it was because of this otherwise undesirable physical and social trait that Cole chose him to be the herald. His thin build, spiked red hair, <clears throat> and fiery temper earned him the name Pachito, small cigarette. Pachito continued, Mom said that you forgot to flush the toilet and that the chain that the chain that lifts the plug broke, so... And then Cole replied, Tell Mom that I have a special paperclip that I can use. Can you hear me? I have a special paperclip that I can use to join the plug with the thing that... And tell Mom not to let anyone in the bathroom until I get home, especially Grandma. The audience was very upset. Would you just go home and flush that toilet? And what kind of a name is Peppino? Yelled a robust man who was accompanied by a petite young lady. The lady, speaking with the speed of a machine gun, reproached the man for making a scene. At this, fights of this sort usually ignited amongst the couples who were in disagreement as to how to deal with this disturbance. Generally speaking, the Mina, the girl, would tell the guy that he either overreacted or underreacted. The guy would tell her to mind her own business, and after a few more interchanges, well, chaos would break loose. The Bohemians called this the domino effect. After five minutes, and after the scene had passed with rage and not with love, Pachito and Cole escaped the bolsa through different exits, 
exactly as planned. The Bohemian sat at the Astoria showing no pride about last night's success, for such pride would be against the whole philosophy. But Allegro added, it was a successful visitation with a domino effect. Crazy Cole made an important observation. The less outrageous the contents of our communication, that is, the more acceptable our disturbance, the greater the domino effect will be. And that is the tale of the Bolsa Theater. Liz, thank you so much for your letter. Um, the case that I remember, which involved Juan Vittorio, uh, was the Fulco murders. And I actually did a little bit of research and found an account of the Fulco murder. The tale goes something like this. Another tale from the world of the Octopus Wars. No one could understand how Juan Vittorio was always right about unsolved mysteries but he had a simple theory. Detectives like to believe in too much sanata, which means nonsense. That's why they can't see reality for what it is, and they are unable to unravel the nature of events. Vittorio didn't blame the detectives, because he too wasn't a big fan of reality. Juan Vittorio, the best detective in the history of our nation, had a knack for remembering, thinking, and reflecting, but he didn't have a strong knack for what we call doing. He was one of those few people who actually believed that talking was doing. Some would say that Juan Vittorio was just a lazy bum, but to him, it was much more than that. To him, his unwillingness to do anything was somehow a statement about the injustices of the world, the futility of life, and the meaningless of existence. And when his critics didn't believe his sanata, he would remind them that he, after all, was born Argentine and that idleness was part of the great culture, if not part of the blood. But some positive things could be said about him. Despite his desire to do nothing, he did manage to scrounge up quite an eventful life. After learning that the Mendoza Municipal Jail was empty, he turned himself in at the age of 23 for a petty crime that he did not commit reasoning that jail life would be good for someone of his character, that is, someone who did not want to work at all. He became close friends with the jail's chief warden and gourmet chef, Miguel Santos, and with Sheriff Philip Jennings. <clears throat> Philip Jennings was an educated fellow from England who once worked for Scotland Yard. It was interesting that everybody tended to like Juan Vitoro, and they quickly forgave him for his many shortcomings. In fact, they liked him more than they did most other people, maybe because he never tried to be liked or because he never tried to be better than anyone else. In jail, Vittorio brought joy to everyone around him. Mondays became poker night. Tuesdays were chess night. On Sundays, everyone listened to football games on the radio and the warden even made parijada, barbecue. In a matter of weeks, the jail became the most popular hangout for married men and mature youths. It was rumored that one could find the best pasta and parijada in that municipal jail. And when no activities were planned, when there was no chess match, no bochas, or no truco taking place, truco is an Argentine card game, 
Juan Vitoro would spend hours conversing with Philip Jennings about the unsolved crimes of Scotland Yard. These mysteries, in a good game of chess or truco, were about the only things that motivated Juan Vitoro. One year later, at the age of 24, he decided to turn the jail into a public zoo of sorts, for reasons that are too complicated to explain here, reasons stemming from his childhood fascination with pet tortoises and their proper keeping. He considered the public zoo the only real effort or enterprise in his life, but it was a failure. Mayor Evangelo Galfini endorsed the ridiculous plan, claiming that in a city like Mendoza, where more people are willing to go to zoos than commit crimes, a zoo should be in order. Upon remodeling the jail, Galfini begged the people of Mendoza to please refrain from breaking the law, for now there was no place to house prisoners. But Vitora Zoo, as it was called, turned out to be a huge disaster, probably because no one took proper care of the animals, which consisted only of an old mountain lion, a female llama, goats, and a sick and flightless Andean condor. On the last day of his enterprise, he set all of the animals free, believing that they would no longer suffer from what he called cabin fever. All of the police agencies from around the world, including Mendoza, San Luis, San Rafael, and yes, even the mighty Scotland Yard, always requested Juan Vitoro's help. Perhaps that is why he was regarded as the best crime solver. He didn't like the term detective because it implied someone with a job. The best crime solver in South America. This gave birth to the expression, I see the truth like Juan Vitoro. He would always solve the crimes very quickly with a tired and bored expression. Or sometimes in a bemused state of shock because he could not believe that no one else could figure out the crime. It was the Fulco murders of San Luis that made Vittorio famous as a detective. The traditional account of the murders, in which a poor mute had a stroke and went on a killing rampage, was a gross simplification of the events, at least according to Vittorio. All the witnesses reported that the madman would stare up at the sky a second or two after his rusty knife would penetrate his victim's heart. From this strange fact, Vittorio surmised that Fulco had the capacity to see the spirits of his victims ascend happily into the next world, a sight so beautiful that it became what detectives call the criminal motive. Fulco thought that he was doing them good, except one time when he looked downwards after stabbing Mr. Serini, a crooked lawyer. Doña Petrona added that all his victims were people going through hard times an observation that forced everyone in San Luis to walk around with fake smiles and pretend to be happy. That's why San Luis became the happiest place in our country. People smiled at work, went asleep, even while mourning. And even when their local team lost six to nothing. You see, everyone was smiling to avoid Fulco's meat knife. It was said that Juan Vitorio's fat stomach would always be the first thing to enter a crime scene but it was never the last thing to leave, except for a few interesting cases, such as the famous Tortori diamond robberies of 1924, he worked as little as possible. But that is the story of the Fulco murders, and that is why San Luis was the happiest place in our fine country. (laughs) 